Amen, amen. You can be seated. If you knew my demerit record, you would not be applauding right now, so go ahead and take a seat. But uh, no, it's good to be back here, and just uh, it's good to be in a place where uh, my life was changed, really. And it's amazing when you, when you think about uh, a decade and just how quick it goes, but man, what, what God can do uh, in that time is truly incredible. And I've uh, been able to obviously graduate here and um, man, meet my wife here and, and uh, surrender to the call to New Zealand up in that balcony, as Dr. Getch mentioned, and just, uh, it's amazing walking the campus. It's my first time back since my wife graduated, and so uh, you are blessed. Don't ever forget that. You are blessed to be here and under the teaching and preaching of the men that are here, and um, it's just so, it's an honor to be here. I don't feel worthy, uh, but in the same token, I'm very excited to be here. So if you have your Bibles this morning, turn to Mark chapter number five. Mark chapter number five. And this is a story you're, you, you might be familiar with. Uh, we've come to know it as the Maniac of Gadara. And uh, it's, a, it's a story maybe you've heard preached or taught maybe in a Sunday school or maybe even you yourself did some teaching over it and, and, and told someone about it. Uh, but it's a, it's a story that's, that's near and dear to my heart. And I believe that it can be a help to you uh, this morning. Mark chapter number five, verse number one, the Bible says this. And they came over onto the other side of the sea into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains. Because he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him. And the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him and cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For he said unto them, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. I'd like to preach a message entitled this morning, When All Hope Is Gone, Help Is On The Way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this day. Lord, I thank you for your love to us. God, I thank you for this place and, Lord, just uh, the men and women, Lord, who, who invested into my life so many years ago. And, God, I thank you for uh, the opportunity, Lord, although I feel unworthy. I pray that, Lord, you meet with us now and we'll give all the praise and glory for it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. My mother... Uh, when she was growing up, uh, really grew up in a home that, if I could put it uh, kindly, was just very unrestful. Uh, there wasn't a lot of peace in her home. Uh, my grandparents struggled a lot, and, and also my, my aunts and uncles as well, my, my mom's siblings, and, and in particular, my Uncle Mark. Uh, my Uncle Mark was really from a very young age, just kind of got involved with the wrong crowd, uh, began to to get involved in, in drugs and alcohol and, and in and out of jail. And I'll never forget, um, really, as he, as he, even into his adult years, and as, as I was a child growing up, I remember uh, one particular Sunday morning, I wasn't, I wasn't raised in a Christian home. I was, I was raised a, a Catholic for the majority of my life. And I remember uh, it was a Sunday morning, I'll never forget. And I was coming down the steps, and my, my Uncle Mark um, had been out the night before. And so I, I was coming down the steps, and as I, as I came down the steps there of our farmhouse there in Ohio, I, you come down the steps, you take a right-hand turn, and you're immediately into our living room. 
when you'd walk through another doorway and there would be the dining room, another doorway, there'd be the kitchen. And so I remember walking through the, the living room there and, and going through that opening into the dining room and I noticed that there was a, a man with his head down at my dining room table. And I remember as you know, a nine or 10 year old boy walking past that and, and thinking to myself, one, who is that guy? And number two, what's he doing at my dinner table? He wasn't there last night, so who is it? So as a young boy, I just kind of figured, you know, mom and dad have it under control. So I walked into the kitchen and got my Lucky Charms and started eating my cereal there. And, and I remember as I was eating my Lucky Charms, my, my dad uh, came up from the basement and walked into the dining room. And as, I don't know, maybe a minute or two had gone by, and, and all of a sudden I just heard this, this loud scream come from the dining room. And I thought to myself, you know, what, what in the world is that? So I, I walked in, and, and there was that man he, who, who now was kind of, his, his, his head was up towards the sky, he was gritting his teeth, he was really just wincing in pain, and he had his, his, had his hand extended on the, on the dinner, dinner table like this, and I noticed that his arm was covered in blood, there was a bloody rag off to the side of him, and after noticing who this was, it dawned on me it was Uncle Mark. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, what in the world happened to him? What, what, what's going on? And to make a long story short, that the night prior, my Uncle Mark had, had gone into town and um, began to, to drink too heavily and was at a bar, and whatever occurred, he, he got a man upset, and, and they began to fight. And they took that fight out into the parking lot there, and, and this man was so angry with my Uncle Mark that he, he ended up pulling a knife on my Uncle Mark. He went to go stab him, and, and just probably out of reaction, my Uncle Mark tried to block the knife or whatever, and, that, and that hand, or the knife went right to the top of his hand. And as I'm sitting there and I'm watching this, you know, there's this dime-sized hole in the top of his hand, and my dad is spraying antibacterial spray in that open wound, and he's screaming, and I'm thinking to myself, Man, this guy's just hopeless. This guy's just, just broken. And I remember as I walked back up to bed, because again, Dad had taken care of it. I'm going back to sleep, right? It's the weekend. So I remember walking back up to my bed and just kind of having that thought that, man, that's just so Uncle Mark. I mean, from the time he's been in junior high, high school, into his adult years, that's just what I've known as Uncle Mark, just that guy. You know, one, one step forward and, and two steps back and just going nowhere in life and just broken and hopeless and, and, and wandering throughout life. And I believe in our passage of Scripture this morning, we find a man kind of like that. We find a man who's just broken, who's hopeless. He's been cast off by society. You say, well, well, how do you know that, Greg? Well, in verse number two, we find out he's hopeless because of his isolation. Look at verse number two. It says, when he was come out of the ship, or, or, or Jesus there, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. I love the wording of the Bible there. It says immediately that this man met Jesus. It wasn't as if this man kind of you know, took a step back and, and, and was kind of looking to see who he was and, and making sure it was someone that he could trust. No, it was, it was right there. He made a beeline towards Jesus. You say, well, why, why would he do that? He had no idea that you know, it was Jesus. He just, he just ran to him. Why? Well, look at verse number three. The Bible tells us. It says, this man had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains. So we find out that this man is, is, is living among the tombs. He's, he's isolated from all of society. And in verse number four, we find out they tried to bind him up. They tried to, you know, capture this guy, but, but he would break out of the chains, break out of the fetters. And, and man, it's almost as if society just said, listen, go up into the mountains. Don't bother us. We won't bother you. Just, just stay away from us. Don't bother us. 
I want you to think about that for a moment. Think about that man. Never having someone come by and just ask you how your day is. Never having someone come by and just lend you a helping hand. Cook you a meal. You know, there's been studies that have come out over the last, however long it's been, almost two years now, of people who've been in quarantine and isolation. And man, there's been studies how it's affected them emotionally. They're, they're away from people and there's, they're, just, they're lacking friendship and fellowship and conversation. And it's, it's, it's getting to them. It's affecting them. But folks, that's been, what, almost two years? For this man, that was his life. That's all he knew. Just a sense of rejection, a sense of, man, no one even cares about me. No one even wants to even uh, help me. No one, no one desires to be my friend. No one desires to, to help me or, or maybe see me through this thing. I'm just, I'm alone in all this. He was hopeless because of his isolation. Secondly, he was hopeless because of his condition. Look down at verse number five. It says, In all ways, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. I want you to focus on that first part of that verse there, in all ways, night and day. A 24-7 occurrence for this man. Number one, he was crying, just emotionally broken. Just, 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 you're so depleted emotionally, you're so just broken, yet you can't contain yourself. And I'll be honest with you, there's been times in my life where that's happened to me. Where I've, you know, going through a heartache, going through a trial, and, and man, I, I get up and, and I'm just crying for no reason. Right? I, I, you you kind of, you don't even know why you're crying, you just start to cry. But by God's grace and by His mercy, He, he teaches us a lesson. He, he shows us some truths from His Word. He restores us, and we can move on with the Christian life. But for this man, that day never came. It was always night and day. Just emotionally broken. And then on top of that, he's cutting himself day in and day out with stones. Think about that. Think about the, the pain of just every single day you're, you're facing that, 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 that torment, just that, that awful struggle of, man, you know what, I'm, just, I'm done with life, I'm tired of it, I, 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 just, I don't want nothing to do with life, I'm hoping one day maybe I'll, I'll, I'll hit the right nerve, I'll hit the right vein, and this will all be over with. That was this man. And on top of that, just think of the, the, the physical uh, malnourishment. There probably wasn't three square meals a day up in the cemetery. Weak physically. Weak uh, emotionally. On top of the physical pain that he was experiencing. So, number one, he was hopeless because of his isolation. He was hopeless because of his condition. And thirdly this morning, he was hopeless because of his identification. Look down at verse number nine. Jesus Christ comes to this man and, and he proposes a question to him. He says, what is thy name? And this man answers, he says, my name is Legion, for we are many. And I'll be honest with you, I, I'm not good with, uh, with second languages. Praise God, in New Zealand, you don't have to learn a second language. Uh, I failed Spanish like four times, so that's a blessing. And uh, we were in North Carolina a couple weeks ago. And there's a second language down there I'm not too familiar with. So I'm, just, I don't, I'm not good with second languages. But one thing I've learned just through, through education and, and just basic uh, learning, that when, when you're writing, you want to keep things consistent. First person with first person, third person, singular, singular, plural, whatnot. 
But here in this verse, we find something kind of interesting. The Bible says, my name, or singular, is legion, for we are many. So it goes from a singular uh, speaking to, to a plural. So what's happening here? We won't take the time to, to read through all this, but we find out through the context of this passage of Scripture that Jesus Christ is having a conversation with demons. You see, the word legion there, I've, I've done a little bit of study on it and, and read that uh, it used to represent the, the largest portion of the Roman army. Some estimate between about five, I've seen anywhere between six, five and, and about 20,000. So you pick the number, it's a lot of something. And Jesus Christ is talking to this man, and as, as he proposes this question to him, a simple question at that, he is so overcome by demonic possession that they answer the question for him. If you notice there, the word legion is, is capitalized. It's given a title. It's given a name. They, they've consumed this man so much that he can't even answer for who he is. Think about that for a moment. You have no control over who you are as a person. You don't even know who you are anymore. Because you're so overcome by demonic possession. This man was in a bad spot. This man was hopeless. He's broken. But here's the best part. Go back to Mark chapter 4. Maybe just a page or two back in your Bible. Mark chapter 4. And look at verse... Number 35, Jesus Christ has just finished giving the parable of the mustard seed and the evening is coming now. And in verse number 35, he says this, In the same day when the evening was come, he saith unto them, or the disciples, Let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. You see, why'd you have us turn there? What's so significant about that? Just a boat ride across the Sea of Galilee. What's, what's the point? Well, folks, I'm here to tell you that Jesus Christ and his omniscience, his all-knowing power, and his love and his mercy knew who was on the other side. Knew there was a man that was broken and literally at death's door. And because of his, his compassion and his mercy, he was going to the other side to reach that man. You say, well, what happened? Go back to Mark chapter 5. And look at verse number 15, we find out that Jesus Christ cast out the demons from this man and, and they, uh, they go into the swine there. And in verse number 15, it says this, and they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil. Notice it's past tense now. And had the legion, notice the word legion is no longer capitalized. It's not given a title. It doesn't have dominion over this man anymore. Sitting and clothed, we find, I believe it's in the Gospel of Luke, that, that he was naked. He ran around with, with no clothes on, and now he's clothed. And it says, and in his right mind. Remember just ten verses prior, he's, he's suicidal, he's, he's crying day in, day out, he's just emotionally broken. And now he's in his right mind, the Bible says they were afraid. Boy, I love that part. They were terrified of the man before salvation. Now he's radically changed, and they're still afraid of him. They can't believe it. What happened to this guy? That's the crazy man up in the mountain. What's going on? You say, well, what happened? Go down to verse number 20. It says, And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him, and all men did marvel. 
That word decapolis there represented the entire region. If you read in Mark chapter 6, when Jesus Christ comes back, man, they want, they want to meet Jesus. Well, how would they know about Jesus? This man told them about what had happened to him. And all men did marvel. They just couldn't believe it. That, wait, that's that guy? That, that's him? That, that's, that's the lunatic? That's the crazy man? Changed? I began this morning talking about my Uncle Mark. Now, he was a man kind of like this, just kind of broken and going nowhere fast, kind of given up on, if you will, by, by friends and family to my, to my own shame. And I never forget about, I don't know, probably four or five years ago, I got a phone call from my mom. We were living in New Jersey at the time. We had, uh, my wife and I had just been married and, and I was serving in a ministry there in New Jersey and got a phone call on a Sunday afternoon and I picked up the phone and, and she said, uh, I said, hello, and she said, Gregory? Now, she can call me that, all right, you guys can't, all right? I knew, uh, uh, when she said that, something serious was coming, so I, I just said, mom? And uh, it probably wasn't 30 seconds and she just began to, to weep. Just really, really, uh, something was wrong. And so I kind of let her contain herself a little bit and kind of just come to her senses a bit. And, and I said, Mom, you know, what's going on? And she, she said this. All she could muster up at that time was, it's your Uncle Mark. And I'll be honest with you, I kind of thought to myself, you know, oh boy. Is he in jail? You know, is he even alive? And she began to explain to me how about a month prior, she had visited my home church. And that was kind of shocking to see him come through the doors there. And, and so he kind of came in and, and came back out, and, and, and that was it. Well, before he left, my pastor had met with him and, and introduced himself to him. And basically from that, that Sunday to the Sunday that I was talking to my mom on the phone, my pastor had, had visited with him, I don't know, two or three times, had lunch with him, made a couple follow-up visits. And that particular Sunday that my mom was now talking to me on the phone, he had come back to church. And uh, the service concluded, and, and everyone kind of left, my mom said, and she, she even went home. And, and uh, after everyone left, my Uncle Mark went out in the lobby of the church and, and just began to talk with my, my pastor. My mom said after about a half hour of my, my Uncle Mark just, just asking question after question after question, my Uncle Mark got saved. And I remember when she said that to me, I just kind of, it just didn't compute. Like, like, wait a minute, my Uncle Mark, like your brother, I mean, talking to the same person here, I mean, what, this just can't be real. You know, that, that would just never happen. And after we talked for a little bit and, and hung up the phone, I remember just kind of putting my phone down there in my apartment and just kind of taking a step back. And kind of like verse number 20 of Mark chapter 5, just kind of marveling at the goodness of God and how there's no soul that's too far gone. There's no life that's too broken. There, there's no person that can't be reached by the power of Jesus Christ. Amen. And folks, I'm here to tell you that there's people like that all around us. We're having, we're having this, this uh, missions conference and man, we're here and the flags are up, and those represent souls. 
But I believe that if all we ever do is just, just put money into an offering plate and, and you know, increase our faith promise, and, and believe me, I, those are great things. I believe to do it, right? I'm a missionary. I need money. Okay, I'll, just, I'll tell you that right now. So please do that. But if all we ever do is just, all right, you know, we're going we're gonna to increase our giving, and man, we're going to pray for our missionaries, and man, go across the sea. We're behind you. And yet we never go across the street. I think we've missed something. Because there's people there too. In a couple days, you're going to fly home or drive home back to your hometown, and there'll be people right across the street in those cities and those towns all across America who are broken and who are hopeless. And unless we get out this message of hope, they'll die that way. They'll die broken. They'll die hopeless. May God help us this morning to get serious about getting out the message of hope to a lost and a dying world. Because, guys, that's the only thing that will turn their life around. May God help us to be diligent and be soul conscious of those that are around us for God's glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this day. Lord, I thank you for your love to us. God, I thank you for giving us hope through you. I thank you, God, for giving us strength, uh, Lord, that uh, only you can give. And Lord, I thank you for being a saving God, a God that loves and cares. And Lord, I pray that you be with us now as we go into this invitation. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Just take a moment in our seats there as the piano plays for just a moment. There are people who would look at their own life and others would look at it and say it's hopeless. But we have that answer, don't we? We have that solution. appreciate that challenge and uh, all of us know an Uncle Mark don't we? We all know somebody like that and yet nobody's impossible for God to save. He's able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him and he's making intercession for them even now. I want Brother Barlow to come and uh, share his video with us at this time. Brother Barlow where are you? Come right ahead and uh, looking forward to you introducing this to us and sharing a little bit of a, a word about the video and then we'll see it together. Well, it's a uh, privilege to get to be here this morning with you. Uh, I just wanted to first say, Dr. Getch, you've done a great job with the students here at West Coast Baptist College, just the interactions that I've already had this week. And it started Saturday morning uh, praying with uh, Malachi before we went out on uh, soul winning Saturday. And then Sunday, I talked to a young man at my table, a young man named James, who had a young man with him that just led to Christ and was baptized. Then yesterday I had lunch with Daniel and every interaction that I've had with the students here has been such a blessing to me. And, and I look out here and I see, I see God's choice servants. And that's a blessing to me. So I just want to commend the school and what they've done. 
So my family and I have been missionaries uh, to Slovenia, and um, Slovenia is a part of Europe, part of the former Yugoslavia. And so Slovenia would really like to identify itself with uh, Europe at large. And so in the way of being atheistic and indifferent, that would be very representative of Europe. Maybe though Slovenia would be a little higher in its number of atheists, and you'll see that in the presentation. It does differ in some ways in that um, they very seriously have trust issues. And I think that's a, a byproduct of being a former communist country. And so when we arrived there 12 years ago, we were the only independent Baptist missionaries there. And it was quite honestly a challenge for us to get in. We uh, applied for visas twice and we were rejected twice. But we knew that God wanted us to go there. <clears throat> so we went anyway, and we trusted that God would work it out. And he did, and I'm so grateful for that. But we didn't want that to be a hurdle for anyone else. And so we began to pray for this beautiful, needy country that others would come to Slovenia. And to that end, we started an organization that would be able to sponsor people to come into Slovenia. And we rejoiced that year five, six, and seven when three other missionary families come to serve in Slovenia there. That was such a blessing to us. Now you fast forward to this year, 2021. July, I helped load the possessions of one of those missionary families on a container. And they're coming back to the United States. Um, I was informed by second family that they would no longer be needing uh, our sponsorship because they weren't going to apply for another visa. And at the end of this next month, the third family will be coming back to America as well, not to return to Slovenia. So I say that to say Slovenia is a hard field. It's a challenging field. Um, but it's not all bad news. Um, three years ago, God allowed us to start the first independent Baptist church in Slovenia's history. And I'm not going to go into depth about that. You'll see more of that uh, in the presentation. Just grateful to see and get to be there and watch God work in the lives of people. It's a great honor and great privilege. And you're going to see a lot of numbers in the presentation. I'm kind of a numbers person. Uh, you'll also see the uh, reference to where you can look those up for yourself. But there's a number that I want to stick in your mind as you see this presentation. And that number is one. And that's the number of missionaries that are currently in Slovenia. And I ask that you would pray with us that God would work in the lives of people, maybe even people here in this, this group, that God would work in the lives of people to see others called to Slovenia, this very, very needy country. Thank you for your attention. I appreciate it. Slovenia is a beautiful country. A part of the former Yugoslavia, it was not torn by its war for independence like the others. The high alpine mountains in the north form the border to Austria, and many of these mountains carry snow throughout the year. Just an hour south and you can find the deep blue waters of the Adriatic Sea. Here, there is practically every outdoor adventure that anyone could ever want.
all of this diversity is packaged into a country about the size of the state of New Jersey. Slovenia is considered one of the safest countries in the world. With its small size and low crime rate, you could think that this is truly paradise. However, there is a dark side to Slovenia. For many years, it has also been among the top 10 in the world in the rate of suicides. When there is no recognition of God or the deliverance that He offers, it brings a sense of emptiness and hopelessness, and the result is obvious and heartbreaking. With the freedom from communism, which discouraged belief in God, you might have expected that people would have flocked to learn more about God. Instead, Slovenes have taken their freedom from political oppression and added a freedom from God as well. A recent European Commission survey concluded that only about three of every ten people believe in a God. Slovenian government statistics say that less than 1% claim to be Protestant, which would essentially be everything that is not Catholic. The Evangelical Society of Slovenia would count about 2,000 believers in the entire country, meaning about 0.1% of the population, and that number would count Pentecostals, Mormons, and others who believe in a works-based salvation. Obviously, those who would hold to biblical views of salvation would be much, much less. That is what led us to Slovenia. That is what led us to start Novo Zelenia Neodvizna Baptistična Skupnost, or New Life Independent Baptist Church, and that completed another step in our vision to reach Slovenia. After our first furlough, we went back with the goal to start the first independent Baptist church in Slovenia's history. Having established that church, we are now waiting to see God raise up a man to take this work over. When that happens, we will take the next step in our plan by starting another work in a new location. We came to Slovenia with this plan. Preach the gospel. See people saved. Baptize converts establish churches, train people for ministry, and then repeat the process in a new location. We now believe that God is preparing a man to take this first church over. Sama was invited to a special meeting we had about the meaning of life. He and his wife Sonia came and God began working on them both immediately. The next week they were in our church and before long God had impressed upon them their need of salvation, and now they are among the most faithful in our congregation, and he and another missionary are leading the church in my absence. We have been living and working in Slovenia for 12 years now, and even though church planning in all of Europe can be slow in the face of widespread apathy and atheism, we are excited to see what God has planned for us as we return. Would you consider coming to work with us? Europe is losing missionaries at an alarming rate, and we need help. There is no greater joy or privilege than bringing someone from darkness to light, and we count it an honor to get to do that. Pray with us about this need, and ask God if He might want to use you to reach Slovenians in spiritual darkness. Jesus said in John chapter 9, verse 4, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. 
The night cometh when no man can work. Let's thank Brother Barlow for that. Sometimes I see presentations like that and I, I want to go. And maybe some of you that are a little younger than me should ask God to show you why you shouldn't. Sometimes we look for where we should go and ask God to lead us where we should go. Is there any reason why you couldn't go there? Why God wouldn't want you to go there? There's an open door there. There's a great need there. Maybe God wants you. Well, let's stand. And uh, our next speaker this morning is Brother Louis Montano. And uh, first time he came to this place, he was lost and uh, didn't know the Lord. And uh, he met a man on his first visit here to, to Lancaster Baptist Church named Rick Bishop. Most of you know Brother Bishop. And Brother Bishop challenged him about his soul. And uh, Brother Montano didn't want anything to do with that. But he couldn't get away from that, uh, that question that Brother Bishop asked him that day. And I uh, think God worked in his life through the loss of a friend that week. And I uh, realized that he had a soul. And he came back the next Sunday and found Christ. And so thankful for that journey that God has led Brother Lewis on now these years all the way to Mexico and back here for this World Impact Conference. Let's welcome Brother Montano as he preaches our second message. Amen. While you're standing, open your Bibles to Exodus, please, chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4. I was trying to pray about what to preach this morning. And um, last night I started working, and this, early this morning I woke up. I'm praying that this would be a blessing. And um, we've heard some great preaching uh, this week from the different men that have been preaching. So hopefully this, this is going to be a blessing. I want to preach this morning on don't lose your blessing. And um, you'll be surprised how many people lose their blessing because they're scared to surrender their lives. And when you surrender to fear, you're literally missing out on a blessing that God has for you. And, um, and, and let's look at what the Bible says. Notice Exodus chapter 4. And notice with me verse 1 through 5. The Bible says, And Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice. For they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. And the Lord said unto him, What is in thine hand? And he said, A rod. And he said, Cast it on the ground. And he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses fled before it. And the Lord said unto Moses, Put forth thine hand, and take it, in, and take it by, thy, by the tail, and put forth his hand, and caught it. And it became a rod in his hand, that they might believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, hath, hath appeared unto thee. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, please give me your power 
And Lord, there's nothing I can do unless you bless me with your presence. So please, Lord, I ask you to speak to hearts today. Please use me. Bring conviction in the heart. I ask you that there would, there would even be repentance. Whatever the case of anyone that's listening today may need, Holy Spirit of God, work. I ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. When I was a little kid, I used to make fun of my sisters because they were scared of the dark. And I think almost all women are scared of the dark. And of course, you know, I had legitimate scares, and we all know that, you know, things are underneath the bed. Amen. And so I was scared of that, but that's understandable, you know, and, and when you start looking at your life and you start thinking of what things scare you, there's a lot of scary things. Um, our fears say a lot about our trust in God. And many have come to college and, and maybe you're scared of maybe surrendering your life. Maybe something is going on in your life. I, I came to Bible college and my parents had said they weren't going to help me at all. In fact, they were opposed that I would be in the ministry. They were opposed to me coming to church. I remember my parents telling me, we don't want you, we're Catholic, and we don't want you to go to, to church. And I said, well, I'm still going to go to church. And I came to church. I forged my mom's signature for my baptism. Amen. <laughs> we'll see in heaven if that was legit or not, but, it, you know, but I did it. I figured, you know what, I, I forged my mom's signature on demerits until I got caught, and I thought, you know, I got saved, and... I went to my parents. And I said, you need to sign this. I'm underage, and they want you to sign it because they won't baptize me. And my mom said, no, we're not going to sign that. You're not going to get baptized. I figured, you know, they've never been to church. They've never seen my parents' signature. I mean, I signed it that morning. I, can't, I got baptized. Amen? <laughs> Fear plays a big part in every decision you make. I remember when I surrendered my life, and I knew what God wanted me to do, and I told my parents. They literally screamed at me, and they left, and uh, my mom was in tears. She said, I can't believe it. What, what are you doing to us? And, and this was a Friday night, and I said, Mom, I said, please listen to me. When I die, I will stand before Jesus Christ, and I'm not going to stand before you. Ask me whatever you want, and I'll do it. But do not ask me to make me choose between you and God, because you will lose. I need to serve Christ with my life, and there's nothing that's going to stop me. I remember she began to cry. I went into my room, and I thought, man, I just thought, just by becoming a Christian, things should be better. I never expected things to feel worse when you surrender your life. It should feel like things should be better. And remember, you know, that Friday night, I just went to my bed and I started crying and I'm thinking, I'm scared to death. I'm thinking, what am I going to do? I mean, my parents are completely opposed to this. And uh, how am I going to even continue? Saturday, we went door knocking and um, trying to get people into our bus route. I still, you know, hadn't come to West Coast yet. That Sunday, the following Sunday, my mom got up and said, Luis, tell the bus route not to pick you up. By then, I was faithful in church, and I was kind of like a bus kid, but a bus worker, amen? I would get picked up so, so that I, I could help in the bus route. And, and I, I, told, uh, I told my mom, I said, you're going to take me? She said, yes. And so I was coming to church. She was going to bring me to church. And I told uh, Brother Juan Aguirre, he was the bus captain back then. I said, hey, my mom said she's going to take me to church. 
And it seems strange to me because usually, you know, they didn't want anything to do with church. I used to walk from 27th Street East uh, towards church because they did not want to bring me to church. So I would start walking. I mean, I would cross the desert. Many Wednesdays, I came to church with my shoes all full of dirt. Because if you go through the side, it's a lot longer. It's a lot closer if you just go through the desert. So I used to walk through the middle of the desert so I can come to Bible study. And my shoes were all dirty. Now, thank God some people started seeing me and they started giving me rides, but my parents didn't want to bring me. So this morning when she said, I'm going to give you a ride to church, I thought, this is strange, you know. And, um, and if I ever did get a ride to church, my parents would do like a Mission Impossible type. They would never stop the car, you know, open the car and fly out, roll out, you know what I mean, and come to church. And um, this Sunday morning, she actually pulled into the parking lot and she said, you know what? I have no idea what's going on in your life. I need to go in there. See, she really thought we were some kind of false cult or something. And she's like, I need to go in and find out what's going on. And I remember thinking in my, in, in my heart, oh, you know, I hope that the Spanish pastor, you know, we're in the Spanish, I hope he doesn't start preaching against the Catholic church. I'm thinking, man, I want, my mom was going to come to church for the first time. And I could not believe it. At the same time, no one could take my smile away. I was so happy. I mean, I had been working on my parents for like eight months, uh, trying to live a consistent life. I didn't want to be a hypocrite. I didn't want to condemn my parents' soul uh, to hell because they were seeing something in me that was not consistent with the Christian life. And so now she's coming to church. I'm thinking, man, this is awesome. My, my mom is coming to church. I, I'm, I'm completely uh, excited but nervous. I'm, I'm really literally saying, Lord, you know, I hope he doesn't say anything about the Catholic Church. But sure enough, the Spanish pastor, maybe he's preaching on the great whore of Babylon. You know what I mean? And I'm thinking, oh, wow, you know, he mentioned the Catholic Church probably like 40, 50 times. I mean, I'm sitting there and I'm looking at my mom, like on the side, like, oh man, what, you know, she's never coming back. But when the invitation was given, my mom raised her hand and uh, she starts walking down the aisle. I got my Bible and I'm running behind her. And, and of course, they're coming out to lead her to Christ. I'm like, no, no, she's mine. I've been working on her. Get out. It's, she's mine. And I was able to lead my mom to Christ. I didn't allow anyone to, I'm like, this is, this is, this one's mine. Amen. I mean, I, I've been working on this one. I'm going to sow the seed and reap it. Amen. I'm like, I'm that, no co-laborers here. I want everything. Amen. I'm like, this is, this is it. I'm going to do it. I was able to lead my mom to Christ. But you know what? I can go back and tell you how many moments of fear I've had in my life. Moments where you want to give it all back to Jesus because you, you don't know what's on the other side of that door. Out-of-control fear will rob you of any great service that you can do for Christ. I had a young man ask me, I think God is calling me to go to Mexico, but I have one question. Is it safe? And man, I looked at him and I said, please don't go to Mexico. I mean, are you going to condition God? I mean, are you going to surrender to God? But if it's not safe, you're not going to go? Have we not read from the Bible that everyone in the Bible basically gave something? They suffered, they died. A deacon, not even a preacher, was stoned. And yet, most Bible college students, all they want to think about is, how can they go and be comfortable? How can they go and, and maybe 
uh, survive. And, and God has not placed us on this earth so that we can survive. He has called us so we can serve him. So that we can give our lives to him. But fear will rob you of that. Fear will, will completely make you not do what God wants you to do. And you will always find an alternative. And yeah, you know, God is not going to, I guess, get angry with you if you started a church in L.A. when he wanted you in Japan. I mean, I, I don't know how God sees all that. But you will always live your life thinking, what would have happened if I would have gone over there? What would have happened with my life? If I would have just put fear to the side and I just would have done what God wanted me to do. And that's why the Bible says in Psalms 56, 3, what time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. Why do I want to preach to you about losing your blessing? Well, God has something incredible for all of you. Incredible. The problem is you'll never see how incredible it is unless you step by faith. Nothing of great value comes easy. Nothing of great blessing is going to come without risk. Nothing of great fruit is going to come uh, without turning your stomach, without being scared, without getting goosebumps, without not being able to, to sleep at night because you're taking a step of faith. Not, nothing of, 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 of greatness will be accomplished without some risk. When I went to give, you know, when I was preaching at a, at a youth conference in, in Tijuana, and this is a great church. Uh, the pastor's name there is David Cortez. He, he comes and preaches at the leadership conference here. I'm preaching at this youth conference, and, and, and Pastor Cortez comes up to me and said, hey, hey brother, you, you want to go make a visit with me? And I said, sure. He said, but this is not any kind of visit. This guy we're going to visit, he's actually has been... Has been uh, he, he's, he's been taken hostage. And the parents, uh, the, not the parents, I'm sorry, the family members are getting money so they can pay the ransom so they can deliver them. But there's one thing, he's not saved. And the, the family members who were members of his church asked the cartel people to see if we can go visit. And, uh, and so they're in negotiations and, and the, the people said Yes. And so he said, look, I don't know what's going to happen. We're going to go in there, but he's still under their control. And I'm looking at him like, well, okay, let's, you know, let's do it. So he comes and picks me up in this beat up little car. I mean, this is not his car. This, this car looked like it needed God's grace. Amen. I mean, it's all falling apart. And he picks me up in this. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm not driving my car to this. I'm like, we want to come out alive. Amen. And so... We're like, all right, so we're sitting in there, and sure enough, we go in there, and there's this guy in the middle of this empty room, and he's completely, like, bruised up and bloody. His eye, I've never seen eyes that way, uh, you know. Well, back in my gang time, when I got kicked in the face, it was pretty close to this, but his eye was blood, I mean, blood red. I mean, his face was swollen because he had been tortured. He had, you know, things on his hands because they were, like, squeezing his fingers with pliers, and so we, sh we get up there, and Pastor Cortez is like, all right, we'll speak to him. I mean, I I'm sitting like, hey, if you die today, I mean, it could be, amen? I mean, like, <laughs> look at your condition. This, this is real, real right now in your life. And, and I was able to lead him to Christ. But if you ask me if I was scared, I was scared to death. This was a very unique circumstance. But I felt God wanted me to do it.
And of course, I called Maggie, and I said, Maggie, I said, you know what? Uh, I'm going to do this. I have no idea what's going to happen, but I love you. But I believe God, God wants me to do this. You figured every order of God is going to have a fear factor. Every order of God. Abraham, leave the land that you know and go to a land that I will show you. Not, let me show you, Abraham, everything you need to know now. Go, and I will show you. Rahab, hide the spies. And if you do this, you risk your life. Uh, when, 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 you know, judgment comes, we'll spare you. But she had to take that risk. It's pretty sad to think that maybe a harlot would have more faith than many, than many Bible college students. Joshua, you know what? You want, some, you, you want a victory in your life. You've got to look very ridiculous. You're going to have to march around a wall every single day without saying a word. And, and you know, on the seventh day, do it seven times, and, and then we'll see what God does. But imagine how ridiculous that sounds. You want the walls to fall down. Well, you need to do what I tell you. Gideon, go fight a war, but your army is way too big. What do you mean too big? Yeah, the bigger the better, no? Uh-huh. Because if you, if you win this way, you're going to be tempted to say it was by your power. So, you know, just uh, go tell all the people who are scared to go back home. Oh, they're still too big. Go take them out to drink some water. 300. I think I would struggle without 300. And not only that. Don't take any weapons. Are you kidding me? I, mean, I want army tanks. Amen? Maybe a nuclear bomb or something. Fear reveals so much about us. Fear always reveals our level of maturity. It's going to reveal uh, our anxiety. And, and we start completely, you know, trying to figure this out of, should we continue? Fear very fast becomes morbid. In case, you know, you didn't realize fear could also be good. I mean, it could be wise and, and so forth. But very fast, it becomes morbid. I mean, fear of the unknown uh, surprises everyone. And then they stop you from, from doing what God wants you to do. Moses had to face many fears. And, and to, to Moses' credit, you got to realize this. At 40 years old, he wanted to take some steps, get ahead of God, and he got into trouble. 40 years into the desert, he learned a lot of lessons that you can only learn in the desert. You know, Moses at 80 years old, God decides to say, now is time. 80 years old. Amen? In our, in our perspective, we would think the younger, the more energy they'll have. I mean, that's humanly speaking. But not God. God sees things way different. He'll use a child to kill a giant. He'll use an 80-year-old to go free the slaves in Egypt. Because he does things so different. And so Moses is trying to get away from this now. His self-confidence that he had at 40 was gone. And now he's thinking, how do I get out of this? So he almost scared himself out of a blessing. And, and, and notice here, because when one is filled with, with, with fear, he needs to justify the lack of faith and so people begin to make excuses. And maybe some of your excuses are like Moses' excuses. Because I want you to notice here the excuses used by Moses. The first excuse that he used 
is basically he says, I'm nobody. And now notice here in Exodus chapter 3, and notice verse 11, as he's debating here with God, and his first excuse is, God, I mean, notice verse 11, and Moses said unto God, who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I? He felt inadequate. He didn't have, you know, he wasn't popular. He, he was a nobody, and he's trying to say, I'm nobody, God, who am I? The awesome part is, is that God didn't answer this. He never said, well, let me tell you, Moses, who you are. And basically, he's telling Moses, Moses, it does not matter who you are. What really matters, and notice verse 12. And he said, certainly, I will be with thee. Moses, it doesn't matter if you're popular. It doesn't matter if people all know you, if you're it, if you're in the crowd. It doesn't matter if you have a last name that everybody knows or you just got saved. It does not matter who you are. So as long as you have God's blessing in your life and God's presence in your life. So he's saying, man, I'm a nobody. So maybe God doesn't use nobodies. His second excuse was, I don't know enough. Man, I know that was my excuse, amen. And he's, his second excuse is, I don't know enough. Notice Exodus 3, verse 13. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come to the children of Israel and shall say unto, unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, they will say to me, What is his name? And what shall I say unto them? In other words, I don't even know you, Lord. I mean, what, I mean how? What, what am I, I going to say when they start asking those difficult questions about whether or not you exist? And what do I say if they ask me these questions that I may not even know how to answer? And, and the fact is, all he's saying is, God, I don't know enough. And of course, the Bible says in verse 14, and God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And, and you know what? In response to Moses' concern, God revealed himself. And he's saying, don't worry about not having all the answers. Whenever we say, I'm not smart enough, God says, I am. Amen? And, and, and he's everything that we are not. So I don't know enough. I'm nobody. Notice the third excuse. No one will follow me. Now notice Exodus chapter 4 now. And this is where we make so many mistakes, especially now in our culture, that everyone's sick and they're drunk on success. And they're so worried about what size church they're going to have. And they're so worried about so many different other things that sometimes uh, they're not even doing God's will. Verse 1, and Moses answered and said, behold, they will not believe me. Can I say this? We all, we've all had our moments. I remember uh, just thinking, you know, when we're trying to have big days and, and not everyone you think comes, comes and everyone wants to have a great, a prosperous church, a big church. But listen to me. If God calls you to be a public failure, doesn't mean you're not in intimate success with God. It does not matter if God calls you to do something where you feel like no one is listening. Our obedience is what makes us successful with God. It's not the size of our church or our ministry. Uh, Man, I I remember being in, in, in chapel and there was a missionary from Germany who said he had preached three years and only his family was there. I remember making a decision. Lord, if one day, if one day I'm ever in a situation where no one comes to church, I'm still going to preach like this brother has. 
And don't you love God? It's like, oh, we'll see. And that day came. Amen. I mean, it was a Wednesday night and, and nobody was there. I'm standing there with my Bible. And, and I told Maggie, it's like, Maggie, go start the children's program. And she's like, the children's program? What are you going to I'm about to fulfill a promise. And I was scared to death. I felt like the biggest failure in this world. Literally, there was nobody there. And, and she's walking away with the kids. I'm thinking, how am I going to do this? This is going to be great, I guess. Amen. Started leading music. I led the music. I led the offering. That's ridiculous. I know, I know. I, but I tell you what, I've made a promise. I made a promise here. And, and God always, when you make a promise, God will always put you in a situation where I call it, let's see if it's true. Amen. Daniel purpose in his heart, and God said, let's see, Let, let's find out if this is really true. Let's put you in a situation that's going to make you really dig down in your heart and make sure it is a real decision. And so I'm sitting there leading music. I'm, you know, I read the scriptures, I prayed, and I start preaching. I'll be honest with you, I think I wanted to cry in some moments because you feel bad. But then, you know, 20 minutes into the preaching, a young man answered in. And he stuck his head, and he's kind of looking around, and he sits down. Now there's one in there. I always wanted to go back and start re-preaching the whole thing. But, you know, I'm like, well, he came in. I'm, I'm preaching. Later on, you know, two more people came in. You know, that young man is my assistant pastor today. And um, I, I can tell you so much just about that. But when we were doing youth rally in a youth group, I always tell Brother Edgar, I said, Edgar, if nobody comes or we pack this church out, we do our job for the Lord. You preach. And he always says, yes, sir. But because he was there when I was fulfilling a promise. And he was there. He saw me. I was preaching to the, to the you know, empty chairs. And he knows uh, that this is real. We do it for the Lord. We do it because we want to be faithful to him. So if no one will follow, it does not matter. So as long as God is pleased with us. John the Baptist was no success according to our standards. He was no success. He was weird. He would not be culturally relevant. He would not have many followers. Or maybe if he did have a lot of followers on Facebook, he would just be hated. But see, some are so in, involved with, man, I want people to like me. I, you know, I want to have a mass, you know, uh, people following. I want all the likes. And you're not willing to be disliked for Christ. And you're missing out on a blessing. Notice another excuse Moses is using. And he's saying, I'm not, I'm not a good speaker. And this is how I feel. Amen. Verse 10, notice verse 10 of, of, of Exodus chapter 4. And Moses said unto the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent, neither uh, herefore, uh, for since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am of slow speech and of slow tongue. He said, I'm not a great speaker. It, man, I, I, am, I am with Moses on this one. I, I, you know, I joined all the homiletics, preachers, competitions. I knew I was going to lose. I saw Dr. Getch's face. I'm like, man, poor guy. You know what I mean? He's just like, man, you know, 
We'll see if, if, you know, we'll see if God can do something with, with that mess, amen? I used to get up and I used to preach and I used to do it. The only smile I really had was Maggie's smile, my wife. You know, she's sitting there, she's like, oh, that was great. I'm like, no, it wasn't. No, that was great. You know, she's trying to encourage me. I'm like, no, that, that was horrible. You know, I did a horrible job. And I've always had a hard time just trying to express myself, trying to put everything together. And Moses trying to use an excuse of, you know what? I just, I'm not a great speaker. I'm not great homiletical. I mean, some guys waxed and they waxed, you know, with power. Amen. They, they were perfect in everything that they would say. They were preached great. And you start thinking, man, I'm not, I'm not a preacher like that. I mean, I just, I wonder if God can use me. I wonder, and it does not matter. It's just an excuse. Because all honesty, unless God's power is in my life, it does not matter how great I preach this message. Because only the Holy Spirit of God can work in your hearts. It's not me. It's not what I say. It's not how I say it. It's God. But Moses was trying to say, man, I, I can't do it. And of course, God reminds him, you know, who made the mouth, who made the tongue, who made, you know, the, the deaf and the, and, and the, and the deaf, they, they could not hear, or, the, uh, or people blind, and, and he's the Lord, he's the one that does this. But you know what, let me give you one more excuse, and really this is where the bottom line is. Because the last thing Moses really said is, I don't want to do it. And notice in verse 13, and this is classic here. And he said, O my Lord, send, I pray thee, by the hand of him whom thou wilt send. <laughs> this is fabulous because, you know, the honest truth is, all his excuses boil down to the real truth. And here's the real truth. I don't want to do it. Man, send somebody else to go free the Jews. I don't want to do it. And, and see, I think... Some here are listening to me. It's not a matter of whether or not you know God has called you. And it's not a matter of, 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 as a matter of fact, if God, if you feel God's calling in your life, it's basically you just don't want to do it. And some of all these excuses that may sound reasonable to you, they're just rebellion disguised in humility. Because we could all act humble and, oh, well, you know, I'm nobody. Oh, well, you know, I just don't know enough. I don't, you know, it's just an excuse. No, no one will really follow me. I'm not a good speaker. I just don't want to do it. For every excuse Moses had given, God offered a promise of provision. And so I don't want to do this is basically the reason why. Moses is giving all these excuses. So let me ask you this question. What is your excuse? What excuse do you have? Man, if there's one that you think I've never heard, after chapel, tell me it. I'm going to write a book on excuses. And if there's one that you're saying, all right, Brother Montano, I have one, and this is why. And if it's a real excuse, man, I'm going to be surprised in this one. But just try this one out, because whatever excuse, is, it, it often just comes down to the lack of wanting to do something. And when you want to do right, you'll do it at any cost. I was a Bible college student, and I had some friends, and I remember I went into the car of one of my friends, and he's blasting worldly music. What do I do? I'm like, hey, stop the car. I got off here on the stop sign here on 40th and Lancaster Boulevard, I said, I'm getting off. And I said, I'm not going to be with you. 
And he was like completely surprised that I did this. I'm like, and I closed the door and I left. I am not going to use my, my influence to help somebody else be in the wrong. And I said, until you change this, I'm just basically, you know, I don't want nothing to do with this. You know better. I'm not going to hang around with people who are trying to walk into what God has saved me from. And I just don't understand sometimes college students because you have worldly friends, you have friendships that you should not have, and you're not standing for truth. You're blending in. You're just kind of like following along, and God has called you to be a leader. A week passes by, and he comes up to me and says, you know, you're right. I said, I need your help. And, and I said, what? And him and another friend, there was two of them, that they were, got under conviction because I left the car. And so we burned their CDs, and we burned them in the old bus barn. We got in trouble for it. I mean, we're having this pagan ritual, right? They were like, hey, you know what I mean? We're like burning. <laughs> I mean, it was just having a great old time. We literally start burning the CDs, and I'm sitting there like, let this be a reminder. I want to serve God with my life. I, I have given my life to Christ. I'm not going back to the world. And, and, and if you want to be my homies, you got to do the same, amen? <laughs> I was basically, we started burning, and man, you know, Brother Fursell comes out there because they're seeing fire. We, we thought we were having revival. Immediately, they, they really pour water on, not, on our fire, amen? I didn't know we were not supposed to do that, but I thought, hey, you know, they just made a decision. I don't care what decision they made. I mean, they're literally pouring out the, the fire out there. But you know what? What's your excuse? What's your testimony? What do people know you for? Who are you? What you do when no one is watching, that's who you are. So who are you? We use so many excuses, and God wants to do something great. For, for me, I just thought, man, I cannot believe God wants to use me. I don't know if I would use me if I was God. <laughs> but the fact that he wants to use you and use me, that's wonderful. So we see the excuses. I want to finish with this. And notice number two. And Dr. Getsch is a two-point outline. I know it's not three. I know. Yeah. We were taught three points. They're not even alliterated. Or... But you'll get the point. Amen? I want you to notice that surrender is the answer to our excuses. Surrender is the ultimate answer to our excuses. Notice verse 2 of Exodus 4. The Bible says, And when the Lord said unto him, What is in thine hand? And he said, A rod. And he said, Cast it on the ground. And he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses fled before it. You know, he says, What do you have in your hand? And, and let me apply this this way. Because... I want this to really sink down into our hearts. What this rod represents, it's your strengths. Some of you, now listen, some of you are very smart. Very smart. Man, God has blessed you with knowledge and with a great family who structured and disciplined you in, in, in study. I mean, I grew up in front of a television. So I didn't really learn to read until I became a Christian. 
I mean, literally, I would shake in school when, when I would be asked to read scriptures because people would laugh at me because of the way I was reading. It was humbling. It was like, man, when, uh, let me see, we're going to go to the book of, and I was like, mm, don't look at me, you know, just like looking down. And, and I know some of you grew up in a great home where they made you read and they paid you to read and, and you're very smart. Amen. And, uh, you know, some of you literally look like you've been ripped out of a success magazine. <laughs> or you're a screenshot of some blog of success. Because all, you, you, you know you've been blessed and God has given you strengths and you're smart and, and maybe uh, you have money or you, you come under some kind of control. Well, your Bible college, you know, I don't know how much money you may have, but okay, but you know what I'm saying. You have it all under control. Everything, everything seems to just blossom with you. You preach and it seems like you've been preaching all your life because God has given you the ability to, to communicate well and that's a blessing. But can I tell you this? Unless you surrender it, it's meaningless. No matter what strength you have. You can sing. There, we heard some beautiful music right now. Oh, uh, what a, that song was a blessing. But unless you surrender your voice even to the Lord, you will sing beautiful, but none of it is going to matter. Because even our strengths need to be surrendered. And only God can transform a beautiful voice, uh, an ability to communicate. But when it is in the altar and you're like, Lord, use this, he will transform it to whatever he needs to transform it to have the outcome that only he can give. But it needs to be surrendered. Stop making yourself so proud of what God has given you that God is not using you. Because you're so full of self. You look in the mirror and you're really convinced, man, God really did a number on me. Amen. <laughs> I feel bad for my roommate. He's definitely, you know, God was on a bad moment on that one right there. Amen. He was not having a good day. But with me, oh man, all, you know, all of the stars are lined up with me. But then God is not using you. Because God cannot use you when you're so full of self. Oh, but when you surrender... Your strengths, which are, I mean, I always, you know, some of you, again, have great potential, incredible potential with, with your mind, with, with your gifts, with the, with the, you know, with the ability that God has given you. When you surrender, you can be the next Paul Chapel, you can be the next Apostle Paul, you can be the next person because you're surrendered your gifts to the Lord and then he will convert it to a serpent, to whatever he needs to convert it and say, look, I will do great things for you, but only when it's placed on the altar and so man you know I, I envy you I, I would study all night to get like a C my wife because she grew up with no television it was day and night difference would be in class like are you ready for the test there's a test today I mean my eyes are like red from like trying to stay up and study oh she's like oh no and then Oh, this, this always got me. She would do this. Oh, okay, I'm ready now. <laughs> what? I'm like, are you kidding me? I mean, I went like all night. I mean, literally just trying to memorize things. And, and I was, the first time I was like, oh, man, poor, poor Maggie, you know. She needs help. And then she gets 100. <laughs> and I get it like a 70, 75. And, and she's looking at me like, 
I'm looking at her like, don't abuse this power, okay? I'm like, this is great power right here that you have. It's unreal. What, I mean, what is going on here? And there's some of you who are like me and some who are like her. But even that ability needs to be surrendered so God can use it. This rod also represents our weaknesses. Everything that we feel like we're not. Our excuses that we may have. For me, it was my past, my upbringing, my choices, my bad choices I've made. And so I got saved and I come to West Coast and I'm always feeling heavy hearted as to everything that I, that I feel like I'm not. When I was 13 years old, my, my real dad, my father, told me he never wanted to see me again until I had changed the way I dressed. So I didn't see my real father until the day of my wedding. And I didn't realize how that affected me as a young, unsaved person. I mean, there's a lot of just anger, insecurity issues in my life. But that drove me to make a lot of bad decisions. So I get saved, and I, I mean, I feel like the black sheep of West Coast Baptist College. I'm thinking, man, I just, I'm still, I still have the heat from being in hell, and God just pulled me out, amen? I mean, I wasn't even completely all ready. I mean, it was just so many things were going on in my life. And so bad choices, bad past, so many things, and, and even that has to be surrendered because that becomes excuses. The Bible says in Luke 7, 47, Wherefore, I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. Our opportunity for many of us who may feel like we have a past is that we get the great chance to feel blessed that even though we don't deserve it, and even though, man, I, we, we have our struggles, that God still wants to use us, we get a chance to really love much because he's forgiven us. And stop feeling sorry for yourself and start surrendering to God. Don't let your weaknesses or your strengths be an obstacle in your life. Because either way, whether you're looking at weaknesses or you're looking at strengths, we should all be saying, but none of these things move me. Neither count my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy. And the ministry which I have received of the Lord, of the Lord Jesus, to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. So let me ask you this question. When was the last time you really surrendered? Is God calling you? And, and I'm just going to be honest with you. Maybe your biggest thing you need to surrender is maybe a bad relationship you're having. You know... It's sad, but there are many opportunities to do bad. One of the things I'm thankful for, that I didn't lose my testimony with my wife or my back then girlfriend, because there was opportunities. You know why I'm thankful for that? Because I get to tell my wife, hey, God is leading me into Mexico, and I believe this is what God wants. And Maggie has no reason why to believe that God is not leading me. And many of you are ruining your future because you're ruining your testimony today. 
And one day you're going to tell your wife, man, listen to me. You're going to tell your wife, hey, follow me. I, I, I think God wants to say, and she's going to be like, is really God? I mean, in college, it was not God. When you were touching me, it was not God. When you're doing bad, it was not God. For some reason, people think that when they, when they get married, like the, it goes like this. Oh, and now I'm sanctified. Amen. That's what they think. And they lose their testimony. I have my wife's respect, not because I'm perfect, but because she knows I've, I've been trying to be consistent. A consistent Christian, she knows I try. The Lord knows I'm definitely not perfect. But when was the last time? When was the last time you pleaded for fire in your life? When was the last time you just said, God, I know I'm not a lot of things, but what I am, I surrender it to you. Use me. And maybe today some may be saying, Lord, man, I haven't prayed much because I feel like I can do all things in me. Because you have given me strength and you have given me ability. So I feel like I don't have to pray. But man, you're missing out. Go to the Lord and say, hey, Lord, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry I've been proud. But here's my gifts. I'm so thankful you've gifted me. I, I, I want to see what you can do now. I'm going to lay them at the altar and watch you do something great in my life. All right, Lord, you know what? I've been struggling with this so much. But I want you to use me. No more excuses. How am I going to face my parents if, they, if I surrender? Uh, they've always said this about me, and I'm just too proud, and I don't want to give in because if I do surrender, then that means my parents were right. Maybe there's rebellion in your heart. Surrender it. So I want to do this really quick. Everybody stand up. And I, I'm going to, we're going to do this like this today. I hope you don't mind. And I'm not trying to take control here, but just listen. Maybe you're listening to me and you've never really fully surrendered. And, and maybe you feel like, man, you know what? It's been, I haven't really fully surrendered. I've never put my rod, really, all of it on the altar for God. And I want to give this opportunity first for those who haven't really, or maybe you have, but it wasn't a complete one. Maybe you were holding some of that rod back. I don't know. But if, if you feel like God is placing in your heart to surrender it all, your excuses, whatever you think is stopping. I want to invite you right now to come to the altar. If God is calling you like to really surrender your life, you want some holy fire in your life, you need to give it all in. You can't keep the rod in your hand. You really just got to give it all to the Lord. And I'm going to say this to the second, in the second wave here of, of surrender. Maybe you have surrendered. And, and, and maybe your strengths or your weaknesses have become an issue in your life. And they're holding you back. Maybe it's fear. Maybe God is tugging in your heart and you're thinking, I'm scared. I don't know what's going to happen. We're all scared. No missionary that has been part of this conference we all went with fear. All of us. And so if it's fear in your life, 
If you feel like God is calling you and it's been fear, why don't you come forward and surrender that to the Lord? Lay your rod at the altar. And whether it's fear, whether it's strength, doesn't matter. Now, maybe some of you here are listening to me and maybe there's something in your life that you're struggling with, that you have not surrendered to the Lord. God wants to use us so much and if God has worked in your life in any other way, the altar is open. We'll all pray right now, but the altar is open. If God has called you or God has put something in your heart, and I have no idea, the Holy Spirit will will do a better job than I could ever do. But if God has put something in your heart, why don't you come right now? Why don't you give it to the Lord and watch him do something that only he can do in your life? Anyone else? I'm going to pray with everyone that's up here right now before they go to their seats. Anyone else? We've got to pray together. We've got to surrender our hearts. Anyone else? We'll pray together. Anyone else? Anyone else? Your strengths, your weaknesses, whatever it may be, need to be surrendered to the Lord. Give one more minute, and then we'll pray. We'll all pray. Pray. Lord, all of us come before you today. Everyone here on their knees. Everyone here on the altar. Please take our lives. Lord, we really have nothing. Nothing of great value to give you. But we know that if you give us your presence, if you give us your power, it will bring glory and honor to you. And so, Lord, we give our lives, we give our hearts. Please use us, clean us, wash us. Oh, Lord, whatever you want us to do, we want to do it. So we ask you, Lord, to keep working in our hearts, keep bringing your presence in our lives. And we ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dr. Gitch. I believe God's used every word today, hasn't he? Let's just be seated for a moment as folks finish up here. These are times, these are services we don't want to hurry the Holy Spirit. I want two other missionaries to come just for a moment this morning, Brother McTague and Brother Sutton. I want them to come to the platform if they would. And just sense that this morning God is using the music, he's using the testimonies, he's using the video, he's using these messages to work in our lives. When our lives are tender, that's when God can, can direct us. You can't steer a parked car. But once you get a car moving, it can be steered very easily. And I believe the Spirit of God is moving us this morning. And perhaps through these little brief testimonies that we hear now from these two men, 
about their field and how God's working in their life. Maybe God will use that to steer us a little bit more in the direction he wants us to go. So, Brother McTague, you come and tell us about Canada and then Brother Sutton, Nicaragua, if you will. What a blessing it's been to be here. My name's uh, Corey McTague, um, missionary to Toronto, Ontario. Some of you have come and visited me over at my table. Very thankful for that. How many of you are church kids, grew up in church? Look at the hands. Praise the Lord. I grew up in church, Independent Baptist Church, my whole life. And uh, it wasn't until I was 16 years old that I finally trusted Christ as my Savior. And I think whenever we talk about a testimony of what God is doing in our life, perhaps there's somebody that's still here that's sitting there and you're still not saved. All this talk about surrender and flags and countries is going right through you. And I remember when I was 16 years old, I finally surrendered my pride. I was confused. How could it be that I had all this head knowledge about Christ? And I remember praying a simple prayer to Jesus. Jesus, I don't understand if I'm saved or if I'm lost. Would you show me? There was a preacher that came through the church, and he said some things that I'd heard many times. You can't get baptized to go to heaven. You can't be a good enough person to go to heaven. And then he said something that I'd never heard a preacher say before. He said, you can't pray a prayer good enough to go to heaven because a prayer didn't die for you. A person died for you. And at that moment, in my heart, I heard the voice of Jesus say, that's what you've been trusting. Will you trust me now? And I said, yes. And that's where the journey of faith starts, is the moment you trust Christ as your Savior. And I'm so thankful that when it came to certain decisions in my life, it was that voice that was guiding me. It was that voice that was guiding me. God called us to be missionaries. We served in Kathmandu, Nepal for seven years, and then um, God began moving in our hearts to go to Canada. I want you to look at the Canadian flag, if you would, please, back here in the corner. There's a Canadian flag, third one in. If you look at the American flag, there are several around the building. There's three colors in the American flag and only two on the Canadian. The Canadian flag's missing the blue. We say missing the blue. They wouldn't say it's missing. Canada's a unique place. I feel like oftentimes it's misunderstood. It's very close. I feel like one of the easiest ways to understand Canadian ministry is when you go to John chapter 4 and look at Samaria. Now, we wouldn't think of Canada as Samaria in the same way that the Jews just hated the Samaritans. But it was similar enough that they were confused by it. And even a bit, perhaps, they thought it should be a little bit more like us. And I think that's one of the greatest challenges of Canadian ministry is it's very easy to go up and pop across the border and maybe even go there for a while. Unfortunately, American missionaries have a long-standing reputation of only making it about three or four years. And then they quit and leave because it requires dedication and it requires patience. And if I may be so bold as to say, you have to be willing to leave the blue back at home. It's not America and you can't pretend that it is. 
There's also two flags on the platform. When it comes to being a missionary, if I can say this, God's allowed me to be a missionary for 15 years. You have to choose that flag, not that one. That one gets left back at home. You can enjoy it when you're here. But if you have to have that flag to serve Jesus, you're not really following that one. Thank you. Well, my name is Dan Sutton. My wife Heather is over here, and we both graduated from West Coast Baptist College, and God has called us to the country of Nicaragua. And I, and I could sit here and give you facts about Nicaragua, but as I thought about my testimony and I thought about my time here, uh, Brother Matanio, I, I appreciate that message so much because that's exactly where I was. Uh, I, I grew up in a Christian home. I was saved at a young age, and, and during those younger years of my life, I was excited about being a missionary. I knew that that was what God was calling me to do, but as I got older, and I, and I began to get closer to college, I, I just kind of pushed that aside, and I said, you know what, I, I don't want to do that. Um, I, and I decided to try to make a deal with God. You know, I, I'm going to go into missions aviation, right? It's got, it's got missions in the name, you know, and I could do what I want to do and fly and be a pilot, but um, God, I'm going to leave the preaching to somebody else. And it wasn't because um, it, it came down to exactly what you said. No matter what excuse I tried to come up with, I just didn't want to do it. And, I, and it came between my senior year of high school, my, my freshman year of college. I had gone to a different Bible college, and I was completely running from the Lord, even in Bible college. I, I was as far away from God as I had ever been in my entire life. And uh, God used some circumstances in my life to get my attention back on him and basically brought me to a point. He said, are you going to serve me or are you going to serve yourself? And I decided that's when I decided to, to, to follow after what God had for my life. And I surrendered to him, and I, and I laid it all down. And uh, I had no idea anything about West Coast Baptist College or Lancaster Baptist Church. My youth pastor basically just bought me a one-way ticket. Uh, Brother Weaver signed me up without me even knowing that I was applying for college. And I got a call the next day saying that you're registered for West Coast. And so uh, I flew out here, and, um, and it was still a challenge. There were still things that I had to work through. There were still... Um, things in my life that, that were not right, that I had to get right. But it was, it was right over here that uh, during a student revival, I finally surrendered to preach. And it was uh, here that uh, I met my wife, and we began to talk. And, and I knew that God was still leading in that area of missions. And uh, one night, Pastor Chapel had come back from a trip to Nicaragua, and he began showing the, the pictures and, and talking about Nicaragua and just the wide-open door that was there, just the, the opportunity, the, the ease that you can get into the country, and, and just the willingness of the people to hear the gospel and to trust Christ. And, and it was there that, that the Lord first began working in my heart about Nicaragua. But in the beginning, I still didn't surrender. There was probably about a six or nine months where I, I would just, if anybody asked me, as I was my, it was my junior year, uh, people began, you know, they want to know what you're going to do when you finish college. And uh, I was a missions major, so everybody wanted to know where you're going to be a missionary to. And I would just say, well, I'm praying about Nicaragua. And it was one night sitting right down over here that pastor was preaching from Acts chapter number 16. And verse number 10, talking about the Macedonia call, Paul says, he assuredly gathered that God had called him for the preach the gospel unto them in Macedonia. And that night I surrendered to the Lord and said, God, just like many of you maybe did today as you came forward, and I surrendered to the Lord and said, God, I know this is what you're calling me to do. I just need to surrender to do it. And I laid it all down, and I told God that's what we're going to do. And so for the last uh, six years, we've been serving there in Fresno, uh, about three hours north of here, uh, working, preparing, and God has been just guiding all along the way, and now we're excited to get to the country of Nicaragua. But what I was just challenging you with, and I heard Dr. R say it many times while we were here, don't doubt in the night what God gave you in the light. And if God has been working your heart this week, don't allow going home on break, don't allow uh, all the other things that are going to happen to dim what God has done in your heart this week. And if Lord is working in your heart, just surrender to him and follow in him. And just like uh, Abraham's servant said in Genesis 24, I being in the way, the Lord led me.